How did God address the Gentile nations through the prophet Isaiah? What is God's message to his own people regarding both judgment and consolation? And how does Isaiah's divine message apply to us today? Find out in the new Concordia Commentary on Isaiah, chapters 13 through 27. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah 13 through 27. chapters of the prophet Isaiah, God has a word for the Gentile nations. It begins as a word of judgment, and it always, and in every case, doesn't leave it there. It continues with the proffer of mercy and compassion, and eventually that God would make the Gentiles his people as well as Israel. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Yesterday, we began a series with Dr. Paul Robbie on Isaiah chapters 13 through 27. Dr. Robbie is Professor Emeritus of Old Testament, Concordia Seminary, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February on the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah 13 through 27. We discussed what the prophet Isaiah was doing in his prophetic message in general, and we began the conversation about the oracles against Gentile nations, such as Babylon, Let's pick up where we left off with Dr. Robbie's answer to my question. What was Philistia and what was Isaiah's word of judgment to them? So at the end in 14, uh, 26 to 27, Isaiah announces that God is going to bring judgment on all the nations. And then the first following example then is in 14, 28 to 32, Philistia is just kind of your first example. Now, Philistia, ancient Philistia, was in the modern-day Gaza Strip. They were west of Israel on the coast. People need to realize the people living in the Gaza Strip today are not the descendants of the Philistines. There are no Philistines anymore. These ancient people groups are no longer around. So people should not talk about Bible prophecy being fulfilled today, these ancient people groups are not around anymore. They're long gone. It just so happens that other people live in the same territory as those people. So we need to realize Isaiah was referring to the nations of of his day. And the Philistines were living there on the western coast. They were located in five city-states. Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gaza, Gath, and Ekron were kind of the five cities of ancient Philistia. And Isaiah says God is going to bring two kings who are going to bring judgment against Philistia. And we know from history that these two kings were uh, Sargon II of Assyria and then later Sennacherib of Assyria. And sure enough, they uh, campaigned against Philistia. And then in 14, verse 32, we start to get a sense of what the situation was. Philistia and other nations in the area were trying to set up an anti-Assyrian coalition, and they wanted Jerusalem to join them. And Isaiah's message to uh, 
Jerusalem in verse 32 was, uh, say to envoys from other nations that the Lord has established refuge in Zion, and in him and his refuge we will find our security. We're not going to join your alliances. So Philistia had no future. Don't join their alliance. That was the message. What was Moab as a Gentile nation, and what does Isaiah say to them? So in chapters 15 to 16, now Isaiah goes after Moab. Moab was the nation just east of the Dead Sea. And they also had a long history. You remember the Israelites passed through the land of Moab during their journey through the wilderness to the Promised Land. And you remember the king of Moab hired Balaam to uh, curse Israel and that Balaam's donkey episode. So the ancient Moabites, actually, they spoke a language that's almost the same as Hebrew. So I like to tell my Hebrew students, if you know Hebrew, then you know Moabite. So you can uh, impress your friends and neighbors that you know Moabite. Unfortunately, all these languages are dead. (laughs) So Isaiah takes his camera, puts the hearer into the land of Moab, and you can see Isaiah has these visions, and you can see the destruction and hear the sounds. And he portrays town after town being destroyed, the people fleeing in all directions, the refugees taking their goods, and leaving permanently, and it's all just total disarray. Isaiah mentions 19 different towns of Moab, so he's really kind of takes his camera and just bounces from town to town, and you can really see how the whole country is in disarray. And one of the interesting things about that section is in chapter 16, Isaiah sees in his vision the daughters of Moab, the refugees fleeing, and they're going to ask Zion, Jerusalem, to be their refuge and shelter. And then God says to Jerusalem, shelter them, take them in, because one day there's going to be the Messiah in Jerusalem who is going to be salvation also for the Gentiles. We have this wonderful promise in chapter 16 of the coming Messiah who will rule in righteousness. People often skip over that one. We're familiar with chapter 9 and chapter 11, but you have one in chapter 16 too. Dr. Paul Robbie is our guest. It's part two of our series on Isaiah chapters 13 through 27. When we come back, it is Moab and how God executed his judgment there. Declaring to you the whole counsel of God, you're listening to Issues Etc. How did God address the Gentile nations through the prophet Isaiah? What is God's message to his own people regarding both judgment and consolation? And how does Isaiah's divine message apply to us today? Find out in the new Concordia Commentary on Isaiah, chapters 13 through 27. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah 13-27. through Where is God's mission? 
God's mission is everywhere. Yes, it's far away, but it's also very near. It's as near as your congregation in school, your neighborhood, your family and friends, even as near as your home. Wherever you are, God's mission is in that place. Through his mission, Christ is bringing forgiveness, life, and salvation to people everywhere, even here, right where you are. God's mission here. Learn more at lcms.org slash national mission. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Dr. Paul Robbie is our guest. We're in part two of our series on Isaiah chapters 13 through 27. Dr. Robbie, before the break, we were talking about Moab and the message of judgment. How did God actually execute that judgment against Moab? Well, Assyria threatened Moab, and Moab then surrendered and became a province of Assyria. So it's also possible that there were some tribes from the east that destroyed some of Moab as well. We know that from other sources. But mostly what happened was these areas just submitted to Assyria and became provinces. The theme is, appears to be emerging here of God's wrath against the pride of the Gentile nations. Talk about that. Yeah, so Isaiah is against that. God will not give his glory to another. Isaiah is the big prophet of soli deo gloria, to God alone be the glory. And human glory, human arrogance, human splendor and wealth and pride, and those will all be deflated and brought down. One of the common Hebrew words for pride is a word that means to be high up. And Isaiah likes to speak about how God is going to bring down the high and mighty and bring them down to the ground, and then God will elevate, will raise up the lowly, exalt the lowly. He'll bring down the high and mighty. He'll exalt the lowly. So it's the reversal. God is going to do a reversal of the way things are in the status quo. And as a result, God alone is the glory, not to man. So the city of man is brought down. The city of God is exalted. The nature of this oracle against Moab sounds like a lament. Am I reading that correctly? He's picturing these nations as weeping and wailing because of the destruction. And that's the way to respond to the announcement of coming judgment. And that is the way people, in fact, do have to respond when it happens. Instead of rejoicing, instead of celebrating, all they can do is wail. Chapter 17 takes up Damascus and Samaria. Tell us about Samaria at Isaiah's time and the city of Damascus. So remember, when King Solomon died, 
the northern ten tribes separated. Uh, I like to say the north seceded from the Union, and they became their own kingdoms. From then on, you had the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south. The kingdom of the south had a king in Jerusalem who was from the line of King David, but the kingdom of the north had different kings from different lines. God never did accept this division. So the capital of the north was Samaria, basically in the middle of the land of Israel. And in the days of Isaiah, they had their own king. And Damascus and Samaria set up a coalition that was anti-Assyria. Assyria was on the march, and they wanted to get the small city-states and nations in the area to be in a coalition, kind of united we stand, divided we fall. And so they were pressuring King Ahaz in Jerusalem to join their coalition. The year was uh, 735 B.C. Join their coalition. So what is King Ahaz going to do? And Isaiah's message to King Ahaz was, don't join that coalition, and don't appeal to Assyria either, but trust in the God of Israel. Trust in the true God. Samaria, in fact, has no future. God is going to bring judgment on them. Well, what did King Ahaz do? Sure enough, He was so worried about Damascus and Samaria deposing him that he appealed to Assyria to save him. And Assyria was happy to do that. So Assyria came and they destroyed Damascus in 732, and they destroyed Samaria in 720. So Ahaz bought some time in the short time. But it meant long-term disaster. Somehow, I don't think Assyria is going to stop. They're going to want Jerusalem. And sure enough, in 701 BC, the Assyrians came into the land of Judah, and they wanted Jerusalem as well. They wanted Jerusalem to surrender. So sure enough, God brought judgment against Samaria, and it was destroyed in 720 BC, just as Isaiah had predicted. Actually, uh, Amos and Hosea had predicted, and Micah had predicted it as well. And that was the end of the northern kingdom. Northern kingdom ceased to exist. What the Assyrians would do is they would deport the people, deport them to a different area. They would switch around populations. And they brought in foreigners into the land of Israel, northern Israel. So that's the origin of the Samaritans strangers who were brought in and lived in the area. So sure enough, that was the end of the northern kingdom. Now you only had the southern kingdom left after 720 B.C. And what's going to happen to the southern kingdom? That was the big question. He even references in verse 10 of that chapter the fact that they had forgotten the God of their salvation. That's right. So at the root of their problem was unbelief. They did not trust their God, who alone is their Savior, but they relied on this alliance. And in fact, we know from history, they had many other gods that were brought into Samaria as well. They kind of set up syncretism, trying to 
worship Yahweh and worship other gods at the same time. So, yeah, the root problem was unbelief, and Isaiah is the great prophet for faith. He wants faith in the true God. In chapter 18, there is a short oracle against Ethiopia. What was Ethiopia as a Gentile nation? This is a very interesting chapter. The ancient name of this place is Cush. And these were the people who lived south of Egypt. So in the land now that's known as modern Sudan, they lived south of Egypt on the Nile, the southern part of the Nile. Their capital was Napata, which is southern part of the Nile. The ancient Cushites. And the passage is saying the ancient Cushites, together with Egypt, wanted to fight against Assyria. Uh, those were the two big rivals of the day. Egypt and Cush on the one side, Assyria on the other side. And Isaiah says, one day God is going to wipe out the Assyrian army, and as a result, the Cushites are going to bring tribute to the God of Israel in Jerusalem at the end of chapter 18. So this is God's ultimate goal, to bring the Gentiles to himself and together with their tithes and offerings, bringing them all to the God of Israel. In chapters 19 and 20, God gets around to Egypt. What does he have to say? What was Egypt at the time of Isaiah's prophecy? So Egypt was, like I say, together with Cush, was the big rivalry against Assyria. And the temptation was strong in Jerusalem to rely on Egypt to defend them, deliver them, protect them from Assyria. And Isaiah condemns that repeatedly. Don't lean on a broken reed. Trust in your God. So Isaiah announces the coming judgment against Egypt in chapter 19, how God is going to overturn their economy, their fishing industry. They're noted for their wisdom, and God's going to make their wisdom look foolish. God's going to give them into a hand of a strong king who would turn out to be the king of Assyria. So everything that a nation takes pride in, God debases. That's kind of his policy. So they took pride in their wisdom and in their industry along the Nile, and God is going to debase that. But then at the end of the chapter, again, we see God's ultimate goal. He's going to restore Egypt and bring them to himself. The end of the chapter is this amazing promise. One day, God is going to so reverse the situation that ancient Assyria and ancient Egypt are going to both be in, reconciled with each other, and they're both going to worship the God of Israel. In fact, they're even going to be called my people. In the Old Testament, my people always refers to Israel. But here at the end of chapter 19, he uses the word my people to refer to Egypt and Assyria. It's an incredible promise. So this is God's ultimate goal, to bring Gentiles into his people as part of his people. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to Issues Etc. It's part two of our series on Isaiah chapters 13 through 27 with Dr. Paul Robbie. Folks, we're almost two months away from the Lutheran Adoption Conference 
April 10th and 11th in Houston, Texas. Find out more at lutheransforlife.org slash conference, lutheransforlife.org slash conference. On the other side, it's pretty clear that God does not intend to limit his salvation to just one nation. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we finish Ruth with Ruth Waits with Naomi, Take My Right of Redemption, Boaz Redeems, Ruth Bears Obed, and then we head back into the New Testament with Intro to James. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Join Lutherans for Life at the For Such a Time as This Lutheran Adoption Conference, April 10th and 11th in Houston, Texas. Enjoy the testimony and talents of Dove Award-winning musician and adoptee Mark Schultz. Discover expert information and exciting opportunities, and experience the fellowship and celebration. The 2024 Lutheran Adoption Conference, April 10th and 11th in Houston. Find out more and register at lutheransforlife.org slash conferences. Memorial Press's award-winning curriculum is used by homeschoolers all over the world. Their classical Christian education materials provide everything you need for kindergarten through 12th grade, including books, guides, lesson plans, and instructional videos. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Trinity Lutheran Church, LCMS of Tryon, North Carolina, also serves the South Carolina Upstate. We uphold the confessional standard of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. We follow the apostolic practice of celebrating the Lord's Supper each Lord's Day using a biblical historic liturgy. Our small parish is teeming with little ones along with many of retirement age. Several Issues Etc. listeners have been welcomed into Christ's fold here from outside Lutheranism. We invite any unchurched in the area to join us at 1015 each Sunday. The light of God's word in a world of darkness. You're listening to Issues Etc. Did you know that we send out an email each week that details upcoming show topics? It's available for you to include in your weekly church bulletin. Just click the Issues Etc. Journal logo at our homepage, issuesetc.org, and sign up to receive the church bulletin blurb. It's an easy way to invite your fellow parishioners to listen to Issues Etc. Issuesetc.org. Look for the Issues Etc. Journal logo and register to receive a weekly bulletin paragraph from Issues Etc. Greetings in Christ. I'm Dr. Reed Lessing, Director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. The center offers annual preaching workshops for Advent and Lent, seminars on a book of the Bible, and studies focused on biblical stewardship. We also showcase the best biblical scholarship in the LCMS by hosting three-day seminars each summer, featuring a guest scholar. Learn more at csp.edu slash Center for Biblical Studies. Welcome back. 
Dr. Paul Robbie is our guest. He's author of The Issues Etc., a book of the month for February, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah, chapters 13 through 27. We're talking about those chapters and what they contain, its messages for the Gentile nations. Dr. Robbie, from everything we've seen so far, it is abundantly clear that God does not intend to limit his salvation to just one nation. That's right. So ancient Israel, God throughout B.C. history made ancient Israel his covenant people, but they were never an end unto itself. They were always a means to a bigger end, and the bigger end was to bring a blessing to all the Gentiles and bring all the Gentiles to the true God. The mission of Israel was to be a light to the nations. Now, B.C. Israel typically failed in that mission, but ultimately that mission is accomplished by Jesus of Nazareth, who is Israel reduced to one, and through him, the God of Israel brings the Gentiles to himself. He's been doing that for the last 2,000 years, and we're part of the fulfillment. We're Gentiles who worship the Holy One of Israel. What is happening in the first 10 verses of chapter 21? Oh, that's a very difficult section, and I discuss it a lot in my commentary. It's very difficult, but I'll basically tell you what I think it's saying. The year was about 703 B.C. Isaiah saw this in his vision, and he saw Assyria conquering the city of Babylon, and then on the march west down into uh, ultimately to Judah and threatening Jerusalem. And that's why Isaiah was so terrified. Uh, Apparently the uh, leaders in Jerusalem were enjoying their party. They were celebrating. And Isaiah says, stop the celebration. Get your shields ready because this enemy is going to attack you now. They're unstoppable. So he's trying to deflate the palace in Jerusalem deflate them of their carnal security. So, yes, Assyria conquered Babylon, Babylon fell, and now they're on their march into uh, Judah and even up to Jerusalem. He turns his attention to Arabia. What was this Gentile nation? So, in, in earlier, in 21 verses 11 to 12, he goes against, I take this as a passage about Edom, and he, he calls Edom he does a wordplay. Instead of saying Edom, he says Duma, which means silence. The message of God to Edom is just silence. Morning has come, and then evening, and that's all Isaiah can say. So <laughs> he didn't have much to say to Edom at that time. But their future is not very bright. It's just darkness. But then comes Arabia, And yeah, destruction's going to come to Arabia, to these tribes in Arabia. So they're going to have to help each other out in terms of refugees fleeing. So the pride of Arabia is going to be brought to an end as as well. That's the message to the tribes of Arabia. Chapter 22 is devoted to Jerusalem. Why is Jerusalem included among these Gentile nations in the oracles against them? Exactly. So that's why it's pretty shocking, really. The uh, city of God, where the temple of Solomon is, they've made themselves like the Gentiles 
in terms of trying to establish their own self-security, self-protection, self-glory, their carnal security, what we call. Uh, A good example of this self-glory is Shebna, one of their leaders, who was trying to set up a glorious tomb for himself, even in his death. They had this sense of fatalism. They said, uh, the leaders in Jerusalem said, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Kind of a fatalism. Party now, tomorrow we die. So they have demonstrated that they are just like the Gentiles, without faith in the true God. So Isaiah puts them in the list of Gentiles. God's judgment is coming, is against Jerusalem as well. And Shebna is kind of your classic example of that. King Hezekiah was trying to fortify the walls and set up the defense, but he was not looking to the Holy One of Israel. The final oracle in this section is against Tyre. What was Tyre? So Tyre is a city up in ancient Phoenicia in the area of modern-day Lebanon. And Tyre and Sidon were these two famous cities that were very wealthy. They made their income and wealth from sea trade. They were the means by which uh, Egypt and Assyria would have access to the west on the Mediterranean the famous ships of Tarshish. So they were kind of the wealth capital. If Babylon was the glory capital of the world with this great history and heritage, Tyre was the wealth capital of the world. And uh, everybody looked to them for sea trade. So Isaiah announces God's judgment against them as well. And that verse in chapter 23 tells us what God's agenda was. 23, verse 7. Is this your exultant city, referring to Tyre, whose antiquity was from the days of the ancient past, whose feet used to bring her from afar to sojourn? She traveled far and wide. Who planned this thing against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose merchants are princes, whose traders are the honored of the earth. And then 23, verse 9, Isaiah answers that question. Yahweh, the God of hosts, planned it. And what is his purpose? To profane the exaltation of all splendor, to make trivial all the honored of the earth. He's bringing down the wealth capital of the world and debasing their glory and bringing glory to himself. To God alone be the glory. Finally, with about a minute here, how would you summarize God's purpose in sending this message through the prophet Isaiah to all of these Gentile nations? So at the end of chapter 23, then 70 years later, God says he'll restore Tyre, and Tyre will dedicate her wealth to God, to Zion, uh, to the true God. And uh, so again, it's this redirecting the attention of people away from their own glory and wealth to the God of Zion, the Holy One of Israel. So that's ultimately God's purpose that's revealed over and over again in chapters 13 to 23, to bring down the Gentiles, those who glory in themselves, those who are all about self-assertion, self-glory, self-autonomy, self-defense, who glory in their own 
abilities, their own wisdom, their own economy, their own political smarts, their own wealth. This is Isaiah's critique against all the nations of the world. They're all about self-glory and self-assertion and self-autonomy and self-sufficiency. In other words, they make themselves God. That's his fundamental indictment against the nations of the world. They make themselves God. So God is going to bring destruction on them. You have to think in terms, in a collective sort of way. The whole nation is arrogant, and God is going to bring destruction on them. And God's instrument for doing this is the kingdom of Assyria. That's going to be his weapon. And then later, his weapon's going to be Babylon. But his ultimate purpose is, once he deflates their ego, is to bring them to himself. So they'll look up and see the Holy One of Israel and bring their uh, offerings to the Holy One of Israel in Zion. So it's this vision of bringing the nations to himself in Zion. But in order for that to happen, he first has to deflate their ego, deflate their self-sufficiency. So it's kind of law and gospel. God has to do his law work first before he can do his gospel work. He has to put to death the old man before he can raise up the new man. So it's kind of law and gospel on a national level. He's going to do his law work against the nations using Assyria in order to do his gospel work. Dr. Paul Robbie is professor of Old Testament at Concordia Seminary. He's author of The Issues Etc., a book of the month for February, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah chapters 13 through 27. You can purchase this new Concordia Commentary on the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Ask for The Issues Etc., a book of the month, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah 13 through 27 by Dr. Paul Robbie. Dr. Robbie, thank you. Thank you very much. This has been real great to chat with you. On the other side, on this Thursday, February the 8th, it's Baptism, the Holy Spirit, and the Book of Acts with Dr. Mark Serberg. This month marks the 50th anniversary of the walkout of faculty and staff from the Concordia Seminary St. Louis campus in 1974. If you've ever wondered about Seminex or the walkout and what they were all about, now's your chance to learn more. Pick up the February issue of The Lutheran Witness. You can purchase that at CPH. Visit cph.org witness or learn more at our website, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Organist Service, aptly abbreviated SOS, really has come to our rescue. Pastor Jim Hollowatch of Christ Lutheran Church in Jackson, Mississippi. With the ever-growing shortage of skilled musicians in our community, we were approaching a real crisis. But thanks to the Substitute Organist Service, help is always just minutes away. With its easy, intuitive interface, friendly customer service, and outstanding musicianship, you really couldn't ask for more. You can find out more about the Substitute Organist Service at churchmusicsolutions.com. 
Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. With the oldest deaconess program of the LCMS, Concordia University Chicago has fully certified young women for the deaconess vocation for more than 40 years. I'm Deaconess Kristen Wasilak, Program Director for Deaconess Studies. Help us identify the next generation of servants to care for souls, engage our communities in mercy, and teach God's Word. Learn more about Concordia Chicago's Deaconess Program today at cuchicago.edu. cuchicago.edu. Christ-centered, cross-focused, you're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Concordia Lutheran, Jackson, Tennessee. Good Shepherd Lutheran, Sherman, Illinois. Emmanuel Lutheran, Eagle, Nebraska. Messiah Lutheran, Danville, California. Our Savior Lutheran, North Royalton, Ohio. Redeemer Lutheran, Lincoln, Nebraska. St. John Lutheran, Napoleon, Ohio. St. Paul Lutheran, Milford Center, Ohio, Trinity Lutheran, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Zion Lutheran, St. Charles, Missouri. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal.